This is David Spellman for the Marijuana Solution, and in this informative podcast, host Robert Roundtree interviews physician Dr. Michelle Weiner. Dr. Weiner is an interventional pain management physician that's board certified in physical medicine and rehabilitation. She believes in a holistic approach, emphasizing wellness, and is also an advocate for medical marijuana. Dr. Weiner is passionate about educating other medical professionals about evidence supporting the benefits of medical cannabis through monthly webinars and seminars. She believes cannabis medicine is an excellent option for seniors to decrease overall pharmaceutical use and minimize medication side effects. So she focuses on decreasing opioid consumption in the elderly population and manages pain with alternative methods. Dr. Weiner feels the use of medical cannabis in her elderly patients helps in improving mood, sleep, reducing pain, and allowing them to enjoy life with less oral medications. Hi, today we're speaking with Dr. Michelle Weiner. She is a DO from South Florida. And Dr. Weiner, could you tell us a little bit about your background prior to recommending cannabis and then why you chose to recommend cannabis? Sure. So I am an interventional pain physician. I work with Spine and Wellness Centers of America, and we are a very large pain practice in South Florida, and we treat acute and chronic pain. So we have patients in the hospital that are admitted uh, post-surgery or with cancer that were trying to manage their pain in the hospital, and then we also have outpatient where we deal with typical back pain, joint pain, and uh, chronic pain. So uh, when medical marijuana became legal in Florida, I was extremely attracted to it as I'm not a huge fan of opioids due to the fact um, that patients have a lot of side effects such as sedation, confusion, dizziness, uh, as well as constipation, and the fact that you can overdose from these medications. And we have a lot of elderly that take these medications. They have increased risk of falls, and um, I started doing my research on medical marijuana for chronic pain and looking at some of the medical marijuana legal states. And the statistics really were very um, eye-opening in the sense that, not you know, besides the fact that 2 million Americans are abusing or are dependent on prescription opioids, the um, overdose death rates have quadrupled in the past 20 years. And then when you look at the medical marijuana legal states, it seems like 25% um, decrease has been seen in terms of overdose deaths. So the, the states that are actually using medical marijuana right now, there's been a 25% decrease in um, overdose death rates, which to me is a, a huge number. And there's a huge impact on healthcare because we are spending $72 billion in medical costs because of opioid abuse in the United States. And the thing that's interesting, specifically in the U.S., is that um, we're only 5% of the world's population and we consume 80% of the world's opioids. So it's really a physician issue in the sense that the physicians in the United States are prescribing these medications. And now we have another option, medical marijuana in Florida, 
that we can use to help treat their pain and, and also save a lot of money in terms of um, health care. And, and not only that, but marijuana is able to replace many pharmaceuticals. For example, it's not just uh, pain in my patients. It also affects their sleep because they're not sleeping well because they have pain or their uh, motivation or they become depressed or anxious and preoccupied about their pain. So there's many different um, symptoms that go along with chronic pain that marijuana can can be therapeutic for, and so it's one medication substituted for, for many different that they can actually stop and save our uh, system a lot of money. Absolutely. Um, and a little bit of background about me. I've got herniations all up and down my back, about 10 of them, a bunch of muscle spasms, and I took opiates for a long time. And at the very end, when I finally started using cannabis and mass all day to get rid of the pain and said, I think I was taking between like six and eight, 30 milligram boxes a day. So a lot of, a lot of opiates and the doctor just kept giving them to me, but it works. I, I don't take opiates anymore. I don't take any sleeping medication. I don't take anxiety medication. I just use cannabis. And the, right. unfortunately the way that I use it, uh, the two modalities I like the best, smoking it and consuming it as an edible, or might be illegal in this state. Um, right. So, so that's uh, disappointing. Right, and, and currently the law, you know, the the rules do not allow us to smoke it or uh, use edibles. And I have a lot of patients that. Um, especially seniors that would probably benefit from an edible because they don't want to take, you know, yet another pill and maybe a more attractive way of taking medication. And also it lasts much longer. So when they're having issues with sleep and they need, you know, eight hours of relief or if they're having chronic pain, a pill or, you know, really an edible is a, a much better option. And obviously we all know about something called the entourage effect, which basically means all of the substances, all the cannabinoids in marijuana is the most beneficial. And so using whole flour is the best way to use the medication, and that's not available right now. Um, the, the other issue I have is the fact that in Florida there are 10 diagnoses and um, that, that a patient must have one of these in order to be a candidate or considered um, eligible for a recommendation for medical marijuana. What's interesting is throughout the United States, the states that have legalized it all have a different list of diagnoses. So um, in some states, chronic pain or neuropathy may be on that list. And there, there has been uh, research and it's actual clinical research on humans, not just animal studies. For example, um, there was a study done in 2016 in Israel they had 176 participants, and they had all failed different conventional medication, treatments, physical therapy, and they all had chronic pain. They allowed them to use 20 grams of cannabis for six months and found that 66% of them experienced improvement in pain as well as improvement in quality of life, and that they were able to reduce their consumption of opioids by 44%. So there, there is good um, evidence that people are able to use cannabis instead of opioids 
to treat their chronic pain. And the fact that our receptors, um, our CB1 and CB2 receptors are not located in the brainstem makes it a very safe modality because we're, there's no chance of overdose as opposed to opioids. So these studies are great because they're looking at decreased consumption of opioids, but also quality of life and overall uh, improvement in function, which is what we strive to see when we're treating patients with pain. Yes. Um, so what do you think about the proposed House bill? I believe that's the correct one that wants to have a board that approves the additional conditions. Right. So I, I, an amendment, an amendment. Yeah, I see, you know, there's, there's a few issues with that because um, usually physicians are not, uh, you know, we, we, we do go to medical school. We have years of training to understand um, in which situation we would give which medication or do a certain procedure. The interesting thing is that as up till now, we're, you know, it's not taught in medical school. So medical students and residential marijuana, there's some synthetic THC medications that are accessible and available in the United States that maybe they learn about, but that's a, a very different um, treatment modality. So, uh, and I'm not a, a huge fan of any of the synthetic uh, THCs. So um, I think the, no, the they problem don't work. No, they, they, they don't like work. Like the Marinol? Like, yeah, exactly. It's horrible. Right. It's not, it's not, a, it's not very effective for any of the indications. And, and now more pharmaceutical companies are coming out with um, different medications, whether it's a CBD, THC combination, or even an intranasal, different forms. So they're, they're trying to get, you know, into the industry as well. Um, but again, because the entourage effect, synthetic THC is never going to be as effective as actual marijuana. So I think Correct. the issue is that um, people are not being trained in medical school, and I think that probably is coupled with the fact that the Board of Medicine is, is in charge of, of uh, dictating who we're able to use this medication for. So if a physician is certified and takes the eight-hour CME course, which I'm sure is going to be amended a little bit, especially after the rules and regulations have been better defined. Um, I think them having that knowledge throughout that course as well as using it on their patients and having some clinical experience, uh, they, they're able to figure out and just like, you know, any other um, diagnosis or any other symptom they're treating, they're able to see is this beneficial for my patient and it's, it's it's very sad that as physicians, we're not able to make this decision right now, and um, we need to kind of become creative, which is, is sad, and, and also worry about legal implications. So I have a lot of patients with chronic pain and muscle spasms, and that's not even an indication. It may be like a similar, you know, chronic debilitating condition of something else on that list, but we all know there's plenty of information about marijuana use for chronic pain, so uh, not only should there not be a list, but it definitely should be, if there is, it should be on the list, and the Board of Medicine shouldn't decide who we can give this medication to. It should be looked at like medication. Cannabis industry professionals want to gain some new leads, make genuine business connections, and get premier brand exposure? This is your opportunity. NCIA's new industry socials are coming soon to Portland, Maine, New Jersey, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, and Miami. 
Sponsorship opportunities available. Register today. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold so it seems like a smart investment look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout north america and ask for the original fabric container find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com Educate, empower, and engage in the evolution of the cannabis industry. Join thousands of industry professionals on August 3rd and 4th in Miami, Florida for the return of the U.S. Cannabis Conference and Expo inside the Hyatt Regency in downtown Miami. Register before May 1st for an early bird discount of 50% off now at usccexpo.com. That's usccexpo.com. Join us for the 2019 U.S. Cannabis Conference and Expo August 3rd and 4th in Miami. Register now at usccexpo.com. Expo.com. To touch on the part about the pharmaceutical companies and how they're fractioning off these molecules and isolating them and trying to put out individual medication, they don't even understand the cannabis plant. Um, the people that have been in the culture and doing it for decades do, and it's like you were saying, the whole plant, the terpenes are what charge the CBD1 and CB2 receptors is what most of the people that I know that have been collecting data for a really, really long time say. So you have to have the terpenes in there. And <clears throat> what you said about the Israel research, I mean, they, they have str strains specific for conditions over there because they've actually been doing research funded in part by the United States, which still blows my mind how the NIH has sent money over to Israel for that, but that's another story. Um, you know, the seniors are actually the most, they're the fastest growing demographic of cannabis users right now. They're, they're getting off the medications in droves. And I think yeah. that might be a reason why it's, well, this industry is being slowed down by big pharma. You know, with the seniors, they have so many comorbidities, and 90% and, um, of them have at least one chronic disease, and almost 80% of them have at least two. So they are in that that category where they're dealing with chronic conditions. They've tried many different conservative options. They've had side effects from different things. And so um, many of them are just so frustrated that that because of the stigma, they don't even they don't even mind. They just want some relief. They just want help. So the the population itself has. Um, there's been a huge increase in uh, 65 and up using marijuana, almost a 250% increase, actually. And um, the, the thing about the elderly that bothers me the most are the patients who live in a skilled nursing facility, uh, long-term care patients, who would really benefit from this, not just for pain, but for many other conditions. There's Parkinson's is on the list, MS, um, patients with... Uh, many different conditions, even anxiety or PTSD. And because they live in a nursing facility, which is, is not it's either a federal, you know, funded program, 
um, they're very, it's very difficult for them to use this medication. The patient would have to pay for it. They would have to have family that supports them. The administrator of the facility would have to be on board with this process. And then becomes the issue of who's going to administer the medication to the patient. It can't exactly stay in the nurse's cart, and it, there's no place to document it really on their uh, charting. So it would have to be kept in the, in the patient's room or administered maybe by family, but there's no concrete policy in terms of a skilled nursing facility or a hospital in terms of how these, these patients can use it. And so they're the ones suffering the most, and they're the ones who actually need it the most. So there has to be some type of um, policy implemented for patients who are in hospitals or in nursing facilities once uh, now that it's legal in Florida, that they should be able to use it as well. But everybody's very, you know, hesitant to be the first, and I, I understand that, but um, we really need to become more proactive in these populations. Please join FloridaMarijuana.net and the Marijuana Solutions Show at the Florida Medical Cannabis Conference and Exhibition on May 19th to the 21st of 2017. This exciting medical cannabis event is being held at the Saddlebrook Resort and Spa, just north of Tampa, in Wesley Chapel, Florida. The conference covers many facets of the growing Florida cannabis industry, including expert presentations on new medical research, brain health, legal considerations, and financial topics. You can visit their website now at Florida Medical Cannabis Conference.com or get more information by calling 850-558-0609. Early registration discounts are offered until April 15th, so please sign up today at FloridaMedicalCannabisConference.com. Do you know what uh, Robert Platform does with the Silver Tour? No. Okay. He's a gentleman down in South Florida. He was um, convicted for smuggling marijuana back in the 70s, did 32 years in federal prison. When he got out, he was in the senior age group, and he decided he needed to start talking to them. He's actually maybe a good person to talk to about a list of nursing facilities around the state where he's already talked to about cannabis and know who, who are open to it. Um, so maybe we could do that. And I, I could okay. reach out to him and see if he could help because there's no reason. I mean, we, and we sh I mean, I'm thinking a list and send it out to all the physicians recommending so everyone knows, you know, where the good nursing facilities are because that, that's really sad that that happens. Um, the veteran population is really screwed over too. I met a guy at, uh, Florida Cannabis Coalition event in Ebor with Weed for Warriors, and he's from Lake City. He had a seizure, knocked over a bong, spilled bong water on him, and went into the emergency room at the VA, and the first doctor refused to treat him because he smelled like cannabis bong water. Right. <laughs> Um, I, I actually have a patient. I, have, uh, I go to many skilled nursing facilities in South Florida. I had a patient yesterday that I met with one of the administrators, which I was very happy about because she actually agreed to meet with me about um, uh, using marijuana for one of her patients who has a history of cancer, has a horrible ulcer, um, is basically, you know, bed-bound, 
has a lot of anxiety. She had um, failed back surgery syndrome. She had an infection from that, it has no family support. Um, and so basically I told her she's an excellent candidate for marijuana. The problem is there were so many, there were so many concerns. There was uh, how is she going to pay for it, uh, who is going to administer it to her, and so I, I discussed perhaps we can use, um, you know, because there's a lot of costs that are involved with using the dispensary. You have to pay $75 for the ID card. You have to pay for your medication. You have to pay for the doctor's visit. A lot of doctors are, you know, don't take insurance for these type of visits. So I, I told her about maybe a CBD hemp oil product. For example, I use for my patients Green Roads. They're uh, third-party tested, and um, they have a pharmacist on staff. So I discussed perhaps this just for anxiety, for sleep, for pain. And she was a little bit more acceptable with that idea, but the problem still is administering it and um, the cost because the patient would have to pay for it or the nursing facility would have to pay for it. And technically, it's still a Schedule 1, even though it's just CBD, it's still a Schedule 1. So there were so many concerns at the end of the, the conversation, you know, we were both like, well, I guess our only option is Marinol, and, I'm, and that to me is not effective. That's not, that's not going to help her at all. So this was just, you know, this was just actually a conversation yesterday that I had. So it's something that continues to come up, and, and using a, a CBD hemp oil is a good option in many people. For example, during that 90-day relationship, so once I see a patient, I cannot, I cannot recommend medical marijuana. So in that 90-day period, I choose, to, um, admin, I choose to, for the patient to administer some type of CBD hemp oil so that they're able to uh, basically get their body used to this and, and to kind of wake up their endocannabinoid system and their receptors and see how well they feel because a lot of people don't need THC to feel better depending on what condition they have. So um, this, is, this has been effective with a lot of my patients, but that's because we're still struggling with this 90-day rule even for the terminal patients, which hopefully will, uh, you know, be deleted and we won't have to deal with that in the future. Yeah, the 90-day rule is inhumane. Um, I Have you had any patients die before the, they met their 90 days yet? I have. I've had I've had a few um, hospital patients that I saw in the hospital that never made it to my office. I had um, one cancer patient who, uh, you know, we started our 90 days in the hospital, and then they were not able to follow up in the office because they passed away. And I have some patients who chose honestly to to find other options during that 90 day period, which. You know, nobody, no doctor wants to hear about that, but there's ways that these patients are getting medication, uh, not through a dispensary. And, you know, that's something that I don't, uh, you know, I don't, I kind of like turn away from and I don't want to hear because it's, it's not legal, but that's the best way for them to get some relief. And that's what a lot of patients are doing during the 90 day period. Yeah, they're encouraging black market activity with right, that exactly. rule because. When you, I mean, when a family, if even if a family's never used cannabis before, everyone's heard about it at this point. If they've even glanced at social media, probably, and you're you 
they're told a family member's dying and they have less than 90 days left and you're told you have to wait 90 days, most people start looking for other means. Um, and they should, I mean, we, we shouldn't have to be criminals anymore. It, it's really messed up. Yeah, and a lot of people, you know, especially in South Florida, I see a lot of people who are snowbirds or travel back up north during the summer um, or have cards from the northeast or, you know, Michigan or um, wherever they're they're living half of the year, and they either have a card there, now they have to start over with me, and obviously it's um, different medication, it's in some states, they can smoke it. In some states, you know, they're using it in different routes, and they're not. And then they have to come here, wait 90 days, even though they have a card in another state. So that's that's also a big issue, the fact that I have patients that I start here, and then they go to another state, which may not actually be a medical marijuana legal state, and they're not able to take their medication on the plane with them. So that's another huge issue uh, that I see, you know, on a daily basis in in my practice, and again, a lot. That's why I tell a lot of people. Well, you know, at least CBD hemp oil you can use. It's legal in all 50 states. You you know, it can be mailed. You can travel with it. But people are used to what they're on, and some people need THC depending on what they have. So it's that that whole reciprocity is, is a huge concern as well. Yeah, absolutely. Families traveling on vacation who may have you know sick children. Um, I mean, right. it just it goes on and on. Like I, um, <clears throat> I'd never understood why there wouldn't be reciprocity. I, I also don't understand why the safest medication that can be recommended or provided access to patients is the hardest one for them to get access to. And is there another medication that gives you as much red tape in your practice? I mean, opioids. You know, they. We always like to prescribe, you know, a, a limited amount, and um, now they're really trying to be more strict about trying to get under 90 mil equivalents of morphine. Um, so we're trying to decrease our, our opioid consumption, and so I think marijuana is actually very effective. It's, it's effective not just for pain, but it's effective for some withdrawal symptoms. So when you're weaning a patient off, they're, uh, they may be restless or having difficulty sleeping or agitated, and some of these symptoms can be mitigated by the use of cannabis, actually. Um, but the, the, fact that, the fact that this is a state-specific, you know, strain and, and dictated specifically by the state is, is a big problem because the United States should understand they have five patents on cannabis. So they know it's a medication. They know it's effective. It should be something that is used uh, throughout the United States and um, also not as a Schedule One, which means it has no medical value. It ha it's not safe. Uh, once it's not a Schedule One anymore, then there's, able, there's a people that are able to do more research and uh, more, you know, larger randomized clinical trials to um, justify and to have some more substantial evidence as to why medical marijuana is effective. But the biggest problem is that they're, they're dictated by their state. And so patients are uh, really having a difficult time transitioning or, or trying to vacation and not being able to take their medication. And it's really like they need to just understand this is 
a medication. So it shouldn't be, it should be used like every other medication. It should be regulated uh, in the same way and not specific to a state or the, the Board of Medicine. Yeah, when I, when I start hearing about boards overseeing doctors and patients' relationships and, you know, limiting what doctors can do, um, it, it almost goes against, like, the oath that all physicians take, and it's being orchestrated by a group of physicians. So it's just, like, mind-boggling. Um, I don't you believe know, the, in a lot of the associations that's a personal thing because they always seem to be corrupt at some level. It's just it's so interesting how they separate marijuana from the rest of the medications, and I know it's not a pharmaceutical from a pharmaceutical company. However, it is something that is made from different companies. But the 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 amount of work that the um, the state makes us do to get these patients their medication is absurd. The fact that um, besides having our own electronic medical records. We also need to write a full treatment plan every time we see the patient in the Office of Compassionate Use Registry, which is basically like writing two notes for a patient. The fact that the order expires after 90 days, or, or sorry, expires after 45 days, that we have to update it after 45 days, and that expires after 90 days, these, these, um, these limitations are extremely time uh, consuming for physicians. The, the amount of time that we have to spend um, updating their treatment plan and their orders in the registry, uh, it's, you know, it, you can't just write a prescription for something and it has to be a recommendation and the amount of extra paperwork that goes into it, there really needs to be a different, a different uh, mechanism, a different form a format that physicians are able to use because patients are having so much difficulty. And now, you know, now that they have ID cards, the patient comes and they're not able to even get their medication until they get their card, and they're already backed up a few weeks. So patients think, okay, I reached my 90 days, I'm going to place my order today, and then they still have to wait, you know, two weeks to get their ID card before the dispensary will, will uh, deliver their medication. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. Educate, empower, and engage in the evolution of the cannabis industry. Join thousands of industry professionals on August 3rd and 4th in Miami, Florida for the return of the U.S. Cannabis Conference and Expo. Register for an early bird discount now at usccexpo.com. That's usccexpo.com. Now available for pre-order through crowdfunding for just $14 plus $10 shipping. Pouches, premium mixing and rolling pouches, allow you to carry and prepare your herbs for consumption with discretion and ease. These stylish pouches are handcrafted using strong zips, long-wearing buffalo leather outside, and smooth, cheap skin inside. A portion of proceeds go to fund vital medical research into cannabis for ADHD. See a demo and get yours now on Indiegogo or Pouches.com. That's P-O-U-C-H-Z.com. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now About a game for your phone gonna make you say wow The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash Grow the seeds till the bud, put the savings in the stash Little by little your empire grows large Put the big celebrities inside your entourage You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Cheech and Chong Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong The name of the game is him pink, that's the point Download and play while you life yourself a joint Cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot proved by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out.
Another thing that I think is ridiculous is the access times you can get the medication from the dispensary. It's from 9 p.m. to 7 per the state statute, but you can fill your Oxycontins 24 hours a day from I mean, drive-through at CVS. Right, exactly, it's, and and I exactly. I think I think you know the the access is getting better, obviously, as um, more dispensaries are uh, opening up in different counties and. Uh, like, for example, we were just talking about TrueLeave, how they're opening a dispensary in Miami next week, and how they've opened yeah. a few, which ha which saves a lot of money because the patient doesn't have to pay delivery costs, and also the patient can probably get it the same day. So they're doing a great job um, having different locations. Um, so the access is getting a little better, but it's still it's still the whole idea of how they're separating marijuana from mainstream medication, and it, and it has to be looked at like a medicine. This is the patient's medicine. They need it wherever they're traveling to. It's it's effective, and it's going to save the United States so much money because they're going to decrease so much other medication that they're taking. Absolutely. I think that's a concern for a lot of people because there was a study, some statisticians compiled a bunch of different studies from different medical marijuana states and the average doctor prescribed like a few thousand less pills per month um, and the cost savings to government programs like Medicare and Medicaid was a quarter billion dollars. That's a yeah, lot exactly. of lost revenue for people. Right. That, that study actually said there was uh, 1,826 less doses of painkillers per year in the legal states and that the medical marijuana legal state saved $165 million per year, which estimates to $468 million per year if it was legal throughout the United States. The, the, other, the other interesting thing that people have a lot of concern for is the fact that um, they've shown that there's been no increase in adolescent marijuana use after the passage of state laws permitting the use of medical marijuana for medicinal purposes. So they're concerned that if it becomes legal, you know, adolescents and young kids are going to start increasing their use, and they found that there's been no increase in use, which is um, a good, uh, you know, which overall helps people to, to feel a little bit more safe and a little bit less concerned about become, ma making this medication legal in, in the state. Yeah, absolutely. I think in Colorado it actually went down, teen use. and you know, the, the fact is you're probably more likely in this state to find marijuana from a teenager at a high school than you are anywhere in your town legally. I mean, right. kids have been using that at that age for a very long time. So a lot of the, the fear-mongering tactics are being exposed for what they are. Um, you know, like more studies come out, like DUIs are down in Colorado. Um, Right. Use is down. You know, you know you violent compare, crime is down. Right. Exactly. You, and you compare it to um, tobacco and alcohol, and and there's five million deaths per year just from tobacco, two point five million from alcohol, and zero from marijuana. Same thing um, in terms of side effects from medications. The amount of of deaths from, let's say, a blood thinner or um, an anti-inflammatory, which is, you know, which is very common for patients to be using. So the fact that, that overall death rates will decrease by using this 
as a medication is extremely uh, exciting and also uh, beneficial to healthcare in general. So um, once they're able to see these numbers, it should become legal in more states. And then the ability for us to, you know, use it as medication and travel with it hopefully will evolve over time. Yeah, I definitely think it's going to. Um, I also think cannabis is going to be one of the first individualized medication as we get more and more research into it. Um, a lot of times patients know what strains work best for them just uh, over time. Um, so it, it's really exciting where it's going to lead to once we get more research done and can start aggregating the data a little better and start getting federal funding for the research because that's when we can start doing a lot of big trials. Right. And I think um, from there, you know, people just talk about THC and CBD, but if you if you look at the research or if you talk to someone who's been practicing it for a while, they'll talk about THCA and uh, CBN and CBG and, and many other terpenes that can be effective. And so, so there's going to be so many other options that I, I agree it should be individualized and the treatment plan should be tailored specifically to that patient. And and everybody really does respond differently, and that's why starting low and going slow is such an effective way of using cannabis, um, not to mention the fact that people really need much less than they're actually consuming. So it's not like an opioid where when you say, okay, I still have pain, you know, it's not working, you increase the dose, it, it may not be that. It may be a different route of administration or the addition of um, a different cannabinoid or terpene may be what's going to help as opposed to just increasing the dose. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. That's why, you know, a lot of people are very strain-specific, and that's usually right. because of the profile of how the, endo or the phytocannabinoids and the terpenes play out. Um, we've right. got just like a few minutes left. Was there anything that you would like to speak about? The, the last thing I want to talk about would would really be more to um, tell physicians that, you know, if they're, if they're interested in cannabis medicine and they want to incorporate it into their practice, it's important for them to do their own research and to talk to some of the dispensaries. Um, and it's something that needs to be taught in medical school and throughout residency. And um, that you know, the fact that a lot of the tests and the board exams that we take don't really have questions about marijuana right now. Probably a lot of schools don't feel like they should incorporate it because they, they really train physicians for certain tests, but they have to train them for um, the real world, which will include marijuana, and your patients are going to ask you about it. And so physicians, you know, even if you're not passionate about it or even if you don't want to practice it, you should still be educated. And so it's it's difficult to, um, as a, a working physician, be, you know, on the side doing different uh, CMEs or, or even uh, taking time to, to read about a topic that you're not practicing, but the patients are going to want your input. So it's important for physicians to become educated or attend some of the seminars um, and and for the for the medical schools to really start thinking about um, teaching a few hours of what in in just in terms of marijuana they can teach it through their pain 
management series, you know, wherever it fits in their education. But I think that focus needs to happen because even if it's legal, the physician is looking at it like a medication, they have to be educated as well. And sometimes the patients are more educated than the physicians um, in this topic. Most of the time, if they're a seasoned cannabis user, um, and I, I believe there's only a handful of medical schools around the country and maybe a couple of nursing that teach much of anything about the endocannabinoid system. Right. As if it right. doesn't so, even exist, yet it's the most pervasive in our entire body. Right. I, I hope to see that change. And um, and I think physicians, as they see their patients getting better and, and stopping uh, certain medications and having a better quality of life, they'll start seeing, you know, with their own eyes what's happening to their patients, and they'll become educated and want to learn about medical marijuana and the endocannabinoid system. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Dr. Rainer, I'm going to go ahead and let you go. We're about pressed up to the end of our time, and I really appreciate the the talk we had today. It was very informative, and I'm sure everyone listening is going to, you know, really like it. Uh, if you are a doctor, please do start reaching out. Um, you know, there's plenty of places online where you can get information, call other doctors, and you can even call me. I can refer you to some. I appreciate it. Thanks, Dr. Sure. Thank you for having me. Thanks a lot. You are aware, aware of the Starwatch solution. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.